Welcome to Crafting a Living. In today's show, we speak to Robert Mitchell. Now, Robbie is a serial entrepreneur, I believe is the word. Um, he's created a number of landmark restaurants, pubs, businesses around South Africa. And I have known Robbie for at least 20 odd years. And, you know, I've always admired his business skills and the businesses that he's created. So I'm very excited to chat to him today. Let's welcome Robbie Mitchell. Welcome to Crafting a Living. Today I've got a very old friend and somebody that I admired for many years. When I started in the beer business in in the 90s, um, Robbie was part of the keg group which had just started and for us they were just an amazing outlet and an amazing new experience and obviously an amazing customer. I just started working for Bavaria Brow and we started installing our draft equipment in these outlets and yeah we it was a completely new concept for us so let's welcome to to our to the show today um robbie mitchell hello Olga. hello everyone nice to be with you welcome robbie so robbie you didn't start with the kick you obviously um had some other businesses before that. Do you want to go back to that? Where did you start? You, you, you from the where are you from? Joburg. Sure, you're not, a, you're not uh, a Durban boy. Sure, no, originally from Durban and then Johannesburg. Ah, okay. But, um, I schooled to General Smith High School in Vereniging. I was quite a mischievous young boy at school. Uh, ashamed to say that I didn't finish. I didn't get my matric. Went off and did a tool and die apprenticeship. Like one does in Vereniging. <laughs> That's like one does in Vereniging, <laughs> absolutely. But enjoyed it immensely. Uh, then in 1977, uh, a very good school friend of mine, Derek Mars, owned a small share of a steakhouse in Bryanston called Longhorn Steakhouse. And uh, his partner was a pharmacist who was looking to play more golf as opposed to work in a, a restaurant. So I bought 10% of Longhorn Steakhouse in Bryanston. Was it a standalone or a franchise? It was a standalone, but part of another three stores which were okay. owned by a bunch of guys. Um, three or four years down the road, we managed to buy the partner out. who's was his sleeping partner. And we took the store in those days from turning over... 18,000 rand a month to 70,000 rand a month. Wow, when was, what, what? That was 1977, 78. Okay. Needless to say, it ended up a very lucrative business. And uh, to cut a long story short, we there were a bunch of guys that had a long on in Santon City and a long on in Caller Drive. And we got together, we formed a company called Long On Holdings and then went on an expansion trail. Uh, by 19, uh, end of 83, 84, we had 10 Longhorn Steakhouses, uh, trading very well. In fact, in those days, Spur weren't represented in Johannesburg, so I'd say we dominated the family steakhouse market. Okay, with liquor license and everything? Absolutely, yeah. And I'll tell you that in Bryanston in those days, you ran a queue seven days a week. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, Holger, I then went on uh, the, the four guys I was in business with, very keen, keen to immigrate to Canada which they subsequently did do. So I sold my equity and came down to Durban and opened woodcutters 
1984. The one in Westville. Hillcrest first. Hillcrest, in okay. And where was it? It's it's just behind the Shell Garage now. Okay. Traded very, very well. In 88, I opened Windermere Road. And in November 88, I opened Westville. Uh, and in 1990, I opened Lelouchia. So I ended up before Woodcutter Steakhouses when one of my ex And, and Lelouchia was in the mall? Yeah. With a hell of a high rent, or was yeah, it okay? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we ended up really struggling with that store. Uh, Holger, one of the partners who went to Canada, Derek Mars, was unhappy and uh, showed interest in coming back and joining me. So I went to Canada, and while I was there, he showed me around. We looked at different pubs and concepts. And uh, Derek subsequently came back in, it was 88 or 89, and uh, we had the four steakhouses, but we were looking to grow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think in those days we were quite um, adventurous. We went to the food and restaurant show in Chicago. We researched there. We looked at different concepts. He had family in Canada that owned a chain of pubs. So we looked at those carefully. And, you know, 1990, I mean, it sounds crazy, but there there weren't pubs in South Africa. A pub was part of a... Even 1980s? 1989. Okay. Yeah, the a pub belonged to a hotel, yeah. and you had a men's bar and you had a ladies' bar. Yeah, and on Sundays they couldn't sell booze if <laughs> if they didn't if right. you didn't buy food. Yeah, and a ladies' bar had a, the menu had to have so many egg dishes on it and so many soups and <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> so <clears throat> we then went and bought a Mongolian barbecue on Florida Road. Converts it. It was originally going to be Joe Cool's. Was it? Was it part of the Mongolian in Pretoria? Or I think it was. Yeah. Was it okay? Because I was going to say when I briefly, I think I spent about a week or two weeks in Pretoria as a student in 1988 before I moved back to Natal, and I can remember on a Sunday night there was nowhere to drink, drink, and we ended up in that's the Mongolian right. bar. I think it was cheap student food. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So it was going to be Joe Cool's, but anyway. Um, where did Joe Cool's the name Sanity. come from? Was when, it? when I was in Canada, I was taken with a, 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 by a liquor rep to a little town called London in Ontario. Student town, but with a good mix of business as well. And I was taken to a, a little diner, <clears throat> pardon me, called Joseph Kulufsky's. Joseph Kulufsky was a famous baseball player. Ah, okay. But very interesting, in the, in the window, there was a neon sign burning, and only the J-O-E... And the K double O L were burning, so it was referred to as Joe Cools. Oh, uh, cool! <laughs> so we opened our first keg, okay, which traded very, very well in, in Florida. Right? That's right. Mm. But at the same time, you know, we had an eye on uh, on expansion. So tell us about the keg. That was, I mean, that was a first for South Africa. It was a first, yeah. What you could call, I say, a typical English pub. Yeah. For one were there the others? Phrase. Were there others around? Or no, not at all. Nothing like that, eh? Yeah. So we had four woodcutters restaurants running, and we were getting interest shown from people wanting to take a woodcutters franchise. Derek and I thought the preferred route would be to rather franchise um, the keg. Mm -hmm. So So that was 1990. Okay. 1990. We subsequently went on and ended up franchising 55 outlets. Yeah. So mainly in Natal to start off with. Initially in Natal, there were 16 stores in Natal, and those wow. ranged from Newcastle down to Shelley Beach. Yeah. I think our second store was um, Peter Maritzburg, then Pine Town, then the Playhouse, and so it just Road. 
Yeah. What was the one in Umbila called? That was the Kiganenka. So I must tell you a story. We had a German friend, a, a, a pa Siemens pastor. So he was the pastor to the seafarers. And he always referred to it as Mein Keg. Mein Keg. Not yeah. Mein Kampf, but Mein Keg. Yeah. So and it's quite an interesting story because the Kiganenka was effectively owned by the Bears, as in the Bear Furniture mm -hmm. Chain. They had assisted a young chap who'd worked for them at game. They owned the, uh, it was called the Inner Anchorage, I think, in those days, yeah. and it wasn't working. So they took a franchise and we converted it. But it was a very interesting journey. We ended up with He was that guy, I'm, I'm just trying to recall his name. He was, he was running it. The Big guy called Ford, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, so between 91 and 97, we opened 55 outlets. Mm -hmm. Had offices in Johannesburg, Cape Town and Durban. Uh, we employed about 20 people at head office, and uh, we thought we had a really good infrastructure. Mm -hmm. uh, our next move was to buy um, McGinty's from Southern Sun. I think McGinty's had developed this brand and was becoming problematic and being a listed company that couldn't really afford to get for that to get out there. So we bought McGinty's at a very discounted price, knowing that we'd have to close 50% uh, of the outlets. Okay. Which we did in the interim. We had opened Joe Cools and Durban Beachfront. Can we? I mean, there's one thing we mm. can't skip, and, and that's a beer culture that you created. And yeah. I want to give you the credit for that because I think the keg was played a big role in creating beer culture in South Africa. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I mean, if I can remember, we I started working in the industry in '94 with Bavaria, but before that, you already had started helping or working with the Mitchells and you're Correct. not related to those Mitchells, but... Olga, <laughs> <laughs> no, not related, but you're, you're absolutely right and we, we missed that there. In those days, breweries weren't keen to really put beer on yeah. tap. And I think it's all you really could get was Castle. So we'd been down to see Lex Mitchell once or twice and okay. in fact had acquired the rights to distribute and brew Mitchells in KZN. Okay. The idea was first was to develop the market to about 12,000 litres a month, which according to our arithmetic warranted the investment of the brewery in those days. So we set about the little distribution warehouse at the back of Woodcutters. I, I, I was there yesterday. I was really? delivering to Ultra Liquors and I, and I got <laughs> lost and I thought, I'm sure this is where, <laughs> where the Mitchell's warehouse That's used right. to be with Mark, Marcus, right. Marcus Pele and... Yeah, there, there we go. Yeah. Before Marcus's days. Okay. So we were only really bringing the uh, Raven Stout from uh, Nasna, and that okay. was going by Cape Town. The rest were being brewed in a Mitchell's Brewery in Nelspruit, oh. and the product was coming down on vegetable trucks overnight. Wow. Uh, we were growing the market quite nicely. We got to about seven, 8,000 litres when Mitchell's and uh, Nelspruit went into liquidation. We were then forced to bring the product from Mitchell's in Cape Town at a considerably higher cost. Yeah. And it really just wasn't feasible anymore. So and that was still before 1994. Yeah, I think if my memory serves me correct. I think we ended up losing about 240,000 that year, just on the Mitchell's venture. Wow. So we closed up shop and moved on. Needless to say, still with an eye on owning a brewery one yeah. day. 
And but you also did. I mean, you did a lot of work with the imported beers with NMK Schultz. That's right. Yeah, we did. Um, we ran a very successful uh, promotion called Drink Your Drink Your Way Around the World. And I loved it. <laughs> That's right. Not not that I ever made it onto the wall. So yeah. tell us about <laughs> yeah. the wall story. But the original concept, uh, Holger, was that you would bring. We had eighteen different beers. It was that you would bring the consumer in on 18 different occasions. Mm -hmm. And drinking the beer from whatever country it was on that day was purely an experience. But yeah. we knew we would couple that with a meal and a few other drinks. Yeah, so the idea was to drink 18 beers. 18 beers from 18 different countries. And then you'd get a plaque on the wall. That's right. Yeah. And we then launched a ladies' cocktail cruise, a similar thing, where uh, cocktails from 12 different countries around the world. So it was really a bit of a loyalty program, mm. for want of a better word. The other interesting thing that I remember, and sorry if I just interrupt you, is that the way you you ran the stores, that there was always a managing partner who That's was, right. if you can share that, I mean, for me, that was a very mm -hmm. clever insight. And I, I remember to this day, and especially with Martin Maltby in mm -hmm. Marisburg. Yeah. Um, how did that work? Absolutely. We wouldn't sell a franchise to a straight investor. Yeah. We insisted on 30% of the equity being owned by management or run, by, ran, run and managed by the franchise owner. Okay. And I think, you know, just you get that extra level of care and consideration. It's his business. It's his livelihood. He relies on it. And I think ultimately helps you acquire better results. And, and what I remember as a, a, as a reasoning is, was that people wanted to walk in the keg and see Martin or whoever, whatever his That's name right. was. You know, they're coming home for, for luck cheers, I guess. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. So they became, home, they became places really were home from home. You know, we were very, very hard on the customer relationship. Yeah. You weren't, in fact, you weren't customers. We referred to you as guests. Yeah. And the whole training was about... And patrons. Didn't you patrons. start calling them patrons? That's right. <laughs> when they walk in there, treat them as if you're throwing a dinner party at home. Yeah. And then you also introduced, and I want to make sure you get all the credit for this, you introduced, introduced the nonic glasses. That's right. Didn't you? That's right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Nobody else had those before. No, no. It was the beer jugs. Yeah, that's and right. And then you brought in these pint yeah, glasses, which, right. I mean, for me, it was mind-blowing. Uh, and I think that was after a trip to the UK and okay. having a look around and doing some research there. But, Holger, what I did forget to tell you was, in the early days of the first keg, okay, when draft wasn't what it is today, mm. we were selling... 40 to 45 kegs of Mitchell's beer a week. Yeah. So I can remember Marcus and myself, we had those little Toyota stallions. Mm -hmm. And Marcus would, this was before, before, so Marcus had inherited one from Mitchell's. And he told me that he delivered a whole one of those vans completely overloaded to the keg and elephant every week yep. in Maritzburg. Yeah, that was right. Yeah, it was um, a very successful athlete. Where John and what what was his wife called? Uh, I know, but it was John and Tim Dunson Smith. Yeah, and Martin was kind of the manager. That's right. And Pippa. Yeah, that's right, Pippa. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But, uh, you know, I'd like to say that I think over a period of time, the keg group became like an extended family. Yeah. Yeah, we ran a, a really good uh, conference once a year. We ran a very successful. Uh, golf day down at the Wild Coast. I was going to say about the golf day. Really I lost a lot of balls at those. <laughs> yeah, where the franchisees brought loyal customers. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, and I and think fun's a very strong element in business. And how many of those guys are still in the in the in the restaurant trade? I'm sure there are. Yeah. Martin yeah. still owns a 
Coffee shop or has he sold it? Recently sold, but I think is starting Mm. up again in Victoria Road. But a lot of them still actually have a finger in some way or another Mm. involved in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. So. And Derek Myers as well. Yes, Derek's sitting with two butcher boys. one in Florida Road, Road and one in uh, Mshlonga. I think they trade very successfully. So, And we always, I mean, one rumor, I mean, we didn't know anything in those days and we, we obviously didn't mix with the big boys or the bosses, but the story was always Jonathan Bear invested in this one. Jonathan Bear invested <laughs> in that one, is that true? <laughs> Jonathan Bear invested in uh, the inner anchorage, okay. which became the Kagan Anchor. But uh, I'll tell you, those were quite scary days because Jonathan ran the Bear Foundation and uh, Alec Rogoff, who was the director of Standard Bank, sat on the Bear Foundation. And we got summons to a monthly meeting by the Bears and Alec Rogoff to explain the financials of their outlet. Uh, so there was a lot of ducking and diving and <laughs> <laughs> looking for answers when the performance wasn't there. And the one on the beachfront? Yeah. What That's was that right. called? Can you remember that well, one? On the beachfront, I think it was the Keg and Jester. Remember the correction? I just clear. I I remember watching the, was it the Rugby World Cup there mm-hmm. when we just launched the uh, Guinness? Can you remember launching Guinness oh, on tap? Yeah. What a remarkable brand, eh? Yeah. What when a was remarkable that? brand. With Bobby Skinstead. That's right. He Did was, you? No, That's he, right. He, he was a Guinness he, ambassador. He was a Guinness ambassador. That's right. And it was. I think it probably was restricted to the kegs. Mm. Um, yeah, I suppose if you look back, you know... Well, 94 uh, it was, yeah. yeah. There were a lot of things that were first on. You know, if I yeah. tell you that you never got buffalo wings in South Africa. No. We'd seen that in America and brought it back and launched buffalo wings. Uh, a big, huge homemade pies, you know. Oh, I love those, yeah. first with pies. So, but, you know, like anything, I think... Um, in fact, I don't think... I'm, food is fashion. Mm-hmm. And concepts of fashion, and unless you're re-engineering yourself constantly, you're just not going to be part of the game. Yeah. So you've got to be looking at revamping every five years. You just you've got to keep it fresh. You everything from the way managers present themselves to the way stores look to menu engineering. It's 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 a constant challenge. Yeah. Why do you think um, places like, if I remember correctly, Bloemfontein and uh, Harare did so well? You know, Holger, I don't well, think there was, there was anything there. Nothing you know, else, uh, I mean, Harari, Keegan Sable, was a huge success. Was that Ken's store? That was Ian Miller. Oh, okay. Ian Miller, and then, I forget who the Bloom franchisees were. Chappie used to do a radio program there as well. But, uh, and he was well connected with the cricket, cricket crowd. But you're right, there just wasn't anything else. I was perhaps starved of, mm. of innovation. Um... <laughs> But, you know, at the same time we were growing keg, strangely enough, we were fiddling around a lot of other brands. Yeah. Which perhaps maybe, if you look back retrospectively, was detrimental. Yeah. You know, we launched Joe Cool's. Uh, it was an old Mexican restaurant down there. We went and bought it. In fact, there were no assets. The place had been stripped. The assets were sitting when, in a... When did you open Joe Cool's? 92. It feels like it's always been there. Yeah, 92. And, you so. know, the first thing people said was, you can't spell cool with a K. Yeah. We said, well, exactly. You know, you wanted to be controversial. What should we would always, when launching a new brand, we would always look first and foremost at your target market. What is your target market? So at Keg, we said it's 23 to 55, LSM 7, 8, or 9. At Joe Cools, it was quite simple. 
It's 18 to 25, mm-hmm. okay? She goes out and looks for a partner. He goes out and looks for a partner. They both end up getting blind drunk. So it's simple. We said shit happens. <laughs> okay, and that's really what it was, you know? Yeah. Uh, just a place to really go and party hard. Yeah, and what happened there every Sunday night? That was Joe Cool's night. Yeah, Sunday night. So the whole night, of Durban was in, or the whole of the Berea was in Joe yeah, Cool's on a Sunday. Yeah, the used to run right <laughs> way down the beachfront. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, you know, but it didn't come without out its risks. Yeah. Um, you know, youngsters drinking, underage. Mm. Uh, so we found it quite a stressful business okay. at the end, and I think that's why Derek and I sold it. Um, we almost didn't know when... It was going to make it on the front page of the newspaper that someone was peddling drugs or okay. someone was doing this. We just felt it in the end it didn't suit our profile. So we moved on. We then went and did, um, we converted, we'd sold off most of the woodcutter stores while we were growing keg. We then felt that the Windermere store on the Berea was still a good site. So we changed that to Billy the Bums. Oh, that's right. And uh, it must have been also some 95, 96. Yeah. Uh, Holger, I think that was about 95. Okay. But what I forgot to mention to you was with Joe Cools, in working with the ad agency, okay, and the ad agency came up with who is Joe Cool? Who is this guy? What is the character? And we created that he's a self made man. He sailed into town on a Chinese junk. He's got an old Mustang. He's doing it up himself. The bumper's still not back on. He does the panel meeting himself. And I think youngsters identified with that. This guy does it on his own. Mm-hmm. Controversial. So the very first night we launched, we took the front page of the menu and tore the, me- the front page off. And the whole trick was when people came and I said, oh, my God, what's happened to the menu? So we must apologize. It's been banned. <laughs> so immediately it appeals to the, the yeah. 18-year-old. Yeah. You know? This guy breaks rules. Okay. When we went on to do um, Billy the Bums, uh, while being at the NRA, the Restaurant Association shown them in Chicago, we bought quite a few books on design and different concepts. And one of the books was on on burger outlets. And there's a burger chain or outlet in America called Billy the Bums. So we sat down with uh, Dale Tomlinson. And I don't think he'd started Hardy Boys in those it? days. Okay. And so who's, who is Billy the Bum? We came up with this guy sitting in the back of the class. He's not quite keeping up with the class. And he's got his pencil and he's writing Billy the Bum, Billy the Bum, Billy the Bum. Why do they refer to me as Billy the Bum, Billy the Bum? So bums we turned into basic upmarket socialites. So who's a basic upmarket socialite? Okay. Well, she still goes out and gets drunk, but she sits on a basket with her legs crossed. So we say elegantly wasted. <laughs> Sorry, not drunk, elegantly wasted. Yeah. All right. And the target market there was that sort of 25 to 35 with a little bit of elegance. And I think Joe Cools was the first, oh, sorry, Billy the Buns was the first cocktail bar yeah. in South Africa. It certainly made waves. It, yeah, that's yeah. right. And and so. everybody was very cool that hang out, hung out <laughs> yeah, there. there. Yeah, there we go. But that Windermere Road was quite trendy in those mm. days. I mean, there were there were some other interesting restaurants there. It, what was it did open down the road after us. You're right, I forget their names. Mm. But uh, I think one of the... Marco Nico's, El Turco, El Mexicano. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it soon became quite an exciting area. Mm. You know, so, and at the same time, we went and launched an Italian restaurant called Lola Conda. What was Lola Conda? I'm actually, I'm still not even sure, but I know 
on the first day we were at judo open that night, we invited 50 people for dinner. We asked them each to bring their own knife, own fork, own wine glass, and own plate. Okay, so we ended up with 50 different plates, knives, forks. Uh, did a, you keep them? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> took a, a, a pot of spaghetti, threw it on the ceiling, what stuck? Okay, <laughs> so it was, it was crazy stuff. They yeah. were very exciting times, and it was all about, yeah, maybe just being trying to be first. Eh? Yeah. Okay, yeah. and Florida Road, you had you had a keg there as well. Yeah, we kept that as a company store. Okay, for most of our um, uh, obviously that's original keg. That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's where we used to experiment. But, but then Florida it. Road wasn't. I mean, you started the trend in Florida mm-hmm. Road, or was there other stuff happening? There was nothing. There was a, I think there was a nightclub mm. that Bob Humphreys owned, and With that Bob was Bill. it. So we took a lot of flack from residents in the area. Okay, there were a lot of meetings. Uh, they didn't like the idea of putting a pub in the Florida Road or another restaurant. But uh, over a period of time, we overcame it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's a story. It's an interesting story. Yeah. So did you do anything with Bob Humphreys? I remember he had that place on the, on the waterfront. Eh? Yeah, no, not at all. We weren't involved with Bob. Oh, okay. Not at all. I think he went to open something called... Thirsties. Thirsties, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Now, Holger, we had uh, Joe Cools, Lollaconda, Billy the Bums. Uh, we got the 55 kegs, the, as I said, the 24 McGinty's. So there was a stage where we actually had 80 restaurants. Wow. And what uh, was the concept called that you opened in on the bluff? Can that, you remember that? That's right. We tried to, we thought we'd a come mini into, keg or something. It was the Lighthouse Inn. Lighthouse Inn, we yeah. Thought, there were certain areas that weren't strong enough to carry a keg and the royalties uh, that we derived from it. So we developed a little brand called, it was called Empire Pubs, I think. Yes. And the idea was pl- like places of the bluff, you know, that couldn't carry a full keg and a full keg fit out, that we would go and do the Whale House or the Lighthouse Inn or the Slug and Lettuce or the Honest Lawyer. Okay. okay, and was Guy Cleaver involved with it? No, Guy no. wasn't. Who was Guy? That, that stage was was uh, managing the, the keg and thistle for us. Okay, then he worked for us ahead of us for a while, then left to go and join Mike Lambert, uh, who was a franchisee of ours, and they took a news cafe franchise in Silverton Road. Okay, and yeah, Guy's subsequently been very successful with Lupo and a couple Absolutely, of others. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah, really good restaurants. Okay, but. Um, yeah, Holger, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. And I think come 97, we started to see a few cracks appearing. One or two stores where we'd made the mistakes, you know. I mean, can you imagine going into a place like Paul and opening a keg and putting under under the banner uh, traditional English pub mm. in a place like Paul? And they can't spell it. Absolutely. They can't spell keg. Ludicrous, yeah. How do you say keg in Afrikaans? Yeah. Keg. And, and they don't do English either. Okay? Exactly. So there were a few stores that were starting to struggle. Yeah. Um, Derek and I discussed it at length. Uh, strange enough, we've been, a point, we've been asked by Spur, Spur Corp, if we were interested in selling. We'd gone down and had a meeting with them. And at the same time, we were approached by King Consolidated Holdings. And who were they? guy called Dennis Finch and Cliffy Cravenstein. It was a listed company. They owned Mark's Kitchen okay. and the Rib Factory. And uh, Derek and I thought we, were, I thought we were very, very fair with what we did. We sat down with our management and said that we were interested in selling. I'm still not sh- sure why. <laughs> okay. And uh, it wasn't a case of it being sold to the highest bidder. 
we would sell it to the company that the management wanted to go to. So we let them make the choice. All right. They decided that Johannesburg was the right place, and that was perhaps maybe uh, driven by Kevin Hedewick, who was MD of our company at that stage. Okay. We all know how Kevin's gone on to uh, achieve great success. With famous brands. Absolutely. And, and I remember Kevin as, I think, the SAB draft rep, wasn't That's he? That's right. Yeah, he yeah. came from SAB days. He then bought a keg from us. Okay. I think we got a bit frustrated with his growth. Bought the keg and rose in East London, ran that for a year or two, sold that. We very, very early on saw the potential in Kevin and uh, brought him across and asked him to run the company okay. for us, realizing that it had to become corporate. Mm. And neither, now Derek had, neither I or Derek had that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Holger, so we sold the keg in uh, end of 97, sold Joe Cools, sold off the rest of the brands. Um, I then Derek and I kind of went our own ways. And uh, I opened four red pepper stores, which really didn't work. I think I was ahead of my time. You walked into these stores. I'd seen a concept in Vancouver that I liked. And it really, you could say I was trying to emulate it. And uh, you, it was really playing on restaurant theater where you could see the whole kitchen. Okay. But I'm going back 97, so 20 years ago, yeah. people are doing it today. But 20 years ago, people walked in. The first comment was, why can we see the kitchen? Why didn't you build, build, build a wall there? So I realized I was just too far ahead of yeah. the game. And were those in Durban? Yeah. yeah. Uh, one in Johannesburg. Uh, I think the rest in Durban. Two in Johannesburg, two in Durban. Okay. We then um, opened a restaurant called uh, Pistachios, uh, which was a Mediterranean restaurant. And I brought a chef out from Prussia's in London, the most famous Moroccan restaurant in the world. Once again, people didn't understand tagines and that kind of stuff. So it was just ahead of my game. Changed that to Lorenzo Mox Cafe and it tripled in turnover. So here again, I'd made two fatal mistakes in misreading the market. And again in Durban? Correct. Mm. They were both in Kloof. I then went and bought the station tavern and I converted it to Stokers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Which I is a landmark now. Yeah, yeah, I think it is, eh? It is. Yeah. And the colours were copied from the red line in a small town in England. Uh, I then they went and did Station Master's Arms and so Hillcrest. So just with the Stokers, I mean, you, did you also try and do the big draft selection and beer selection? Yeah, we did. Okay. Because yeah, now it's pretty limited. I mean, yeah. Is it, Holger? Yeah, yeah, I think Guy, I mean, he's got the Vintage brands and the Guinness and the SAB brands, but there's, there's not much else. Yeah, that's in a fact, shame, eh? In fact, tonight we're going to go to the launch of the... The tank beer, SAB's put in a, invested a lot of money in there and installed one of those tanks. I'm told so. Let's actually pop across and have a mm. look at that, eh? Yeah. Yeah, so the launch is tonight. Yeah. I mean, they're obviously selling it already, but the official okay. launch is tonight. Yeah, Holger, we on average used to have, tw- I think, 12 taps on okay. the counter. Which was which was new in those days. Yeah, very I mean, much so. And I think part of the attraction, eh? Yeah. No, I mean, if you go into a bar in Cape Town, nobody's got less than 12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we went. We I went on, did um, two station pubs. So uh, in Hillcrest and, and in Kloof. Yeah. yeah, I then. Uh, and you could ne- never get the one in Gillets. No, tried and tried and tried. Yeah. Uh, had first rider refusals. Why uh, was it? What is wrong uh, with that building? I, the, it sat between two um, pr- uh, prop and Spooner Property Management Services, and there's a scrap going on between those two companies. So red tape. Those two administrative bodies. Mm. We, so we then converted the red pepper and Westwell. 
to Axia Connors. Okay. I'd like to think another landmark. Another landmark, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we did Molly Malone's in uh, Johannesburg. That's also still going. Ways, eh? Yeah, and Rosie O'Grady's out near our Tambo Airport. Okay. In the interim, uh, I was aware that when we had the keg group, that the Firkin group had gone into liquidation. So I was quite interested in the brand. So I made some inquiries and knew that uh, Ned Enterprise were the major creditor. So I got hold of the liquidators who, put the, who handled the liquidation of Firkin and bought the Firkin brand back from the liquidators. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a joke. I paid 5,000 rand. If you say it. you bought it back, but did you, were you involved in it? I bought the Firkin brand back and then... My son and his partner bought the Firkin on the roof of the pavilion. Okay. Can, we do you then give us some old, background on that Firkin? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, they used to, Holger, I think there used to be 12 Firkins. Yeah. And there were small breweries around the country. Okay. They were really, really pretty. But I think they'd been put in places with full retail rentals and they yeah. just couldn't carry it. Now, but how could you get a license to brew in the pavilion? I could never work that out. Interesting. But I always had my eye on the brewery, yeah. uh, which we subsequently bought. I then bought a, an old Firkin brewery from Osaka, moved it down to Durban, bought the brewery out of the Firkin. Mm-hmm. So we had the Firkin brand. And uh, the did, idea but was... But you didn't tr- own the restaurant? My oh, son okay. and his partner did. Oh, okay. So it was a franchise, so I was getting a royalty. Okay. And uh, the idea was to try and roll out Firkins as a brand. So Fox and Firkin, Philly and Firkin. Yeah. But uh, it never really took off, I and think. And is that where the, the, the beer brands come from? No, no, I developed okay. the beer brands. Subsequent what what, were, what they, were the brands in the Firkin? Just it Firkin? was just Firkin Lager, Firkin ah, okay. Ale. So, Holger, we then Do you went still own that uh, brand? Do you still own the Firkin brand? No. Okay. Uh, funny enough, I sold it a year ago. Okay. Okay. To the gentleman who's bought the Firkin, Sizwe. Okay. Um, so, the, the assets, the actual brewery and the brewery from Lusaka, yeah. now sit up in Hilton. Okay. Called Old Man Brewery. So it's a significant size. It's got 17 by 1,000 litre fermentation vats. Mm-hmm. Uh, we then went on and developed the brands which you're aware of Fox Lager, 1806 Real Ale, Honey Badger Imperial Stout, uh, Oyster Catcher RPA, and we're about to launch a, a cider called Hummingbird. So it's, it's been a journey. We've been doing it for eight years, and we haven't made any money yet. <laughs> did <laughs> you, you heard that did, before? Yeah, I've heard, I've heard that before. So did you start Old Main Brewery eight years ago? Yes, that's right. Okay. Mm. And did you brew, were you involved in the brewing in, at the Fergie? No, Never. I, I got an old retired SAB brewer called Paul yeah. Sims, yeah. who uh, brings with them all the technology, recipes, and know-how. Yeah. And I also use a, uh, a gentleman who's a professor at Marisburg University called Hans. I'm not sure of his surname at this stage. Uh, Hans has done two six-month brewing stints in Berlin. Uh, to qualify to do a brewing stint in Berlin, he had to work in a brewery for a year. Okay. So he's been assisting with our brew for the lot, in fact, for a year, then went to Berlin for six months, came back for another year, went to Berlin again. So we draw on Hans uh, extensively in his knowledge of mm-hmm. uh, particularly lagers and the way Germans do them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Holger, it's been a lot of fun. It's, yeah. Uh, so just to cl- so you've got the old main brewery, which is in the old crossways. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Which was also a landmark. <laughs> Student landmark, as I'm sure you know. When you at Marisburg? I was at Marisburg Varsity. I even had my 
my bachelor party at the, at the crossways and <laughs> yeah. which uh, I mean it was one of my favorite haunts with with Sean even I can even say it was one of my best customers as a Bavaria rep <laughs> we used to cart tons of Bavaria up there with all the pensioners yeah. I guess yeah. from Howick drinking there yeah that's right um and then obviously now it's called Old Main Brewery mm. um and it's changed a little bit you've got the brewery in in the restaurant that's right that's um, right yeah, and that, I mean that's been a long journey. Yeah. So you're one of the pioneers in the even in the brewing, never mind the the <laughs> restaurant business. Yeah, Holger, you know, I think if I look back and realise how difficult it would have been, I'm not sure if I would have done it. But I'm in it now, and I've got to uh, take the best out of it. Yeah. I'm still very excited about craft beer and its future okay. in South Africa. Uh, uh, there's a lot still to be done, I think, on packaging, uh, marketing, which is a complete new science to us, as you'll know. Um, yeah, we're just used to opening a restaurant and people either coming in or not coming in and paying when they leave. So brewing beer, getting product to market, okay, and telling the story is a science. It's a different story. Mm. And uh, there's been a lot of, uh, I'm not going to say mistakes along the way, or failures, failures, because I call it falling forward. Yeah, lots of lessons. But there's been lots of lessons. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I mean, I, you and I spent a, a couple of days in Joburg when you launched your bottles. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised, and I say that without wanting to sound negative, yeah. because the market is really cluttered, and you launched your bottled beer last year. Yeah. Um, you you did homework, you did a proper label. I mean, you got a proper agency in to do the labels, and it's really been received very well, I think. Mm. I mean, as another bottle bottled beer on the shelf you know at Hillcrest we, yeah. we nearly have 500 different beers and, <laughs> yeah. and yours yours still move off the shelf yeah thanks Olga yeah still getting orders from Johannesburg on a weekly basis okay. so yeah hopefully trying to break our way through very slowly yeah and, the, and do, you don't do any draft beer anymore no Olga but this is I think we're at the stage right now where we realise um, and strangely enough it, it was brought to my attention by a meeting I was having with a, a coffee roaster. And uh, we got chatting about roasting coffee and getting product to market, which is, he has exactly the same challenge as what we have as brewers or people who run their own breweries. He then came up with the phrase, you've got to own the wet sale. Yeah. Which is absolutely appropriate. So it's got me thinking, we have no choice now but to go out and open two or three of our own small outlets. Okay. So playing with a few few different names, you know, something like a Smith and Walensky's or a, a Crockett and Jones. I know that's a that's a shoe name, but mm. here again, it's two personalities, so you can build a story around the personalities. But the idea is something very straightforward. Serve a nice pedestal of nachos. Serve a really good burger. Serve some gourmet pizzas. You know, like um, uh, pancetta, blue cheese, and fig. That kind of stuff, different, okay. not the normal. Yeah. But a small range, small menu, maybe even order from the counters. You know, I just I feel very strongly that restaurants as we see them today in South Africa are going to be forced to re-engineer. Okay. Uh, I've just come back from two weeks in Australia, and if you look at how effectively they use labour in Australia, or for that matter, Europe or the UK, we're going to be forced to go exactly the same way. With the labour, yeah. yeah. So I think big sit-down restaurants are going to become challenging with the costs they carry. Yeah. So that's a project we're working on right now. Okay. So, but you definitely believe that you need, I mean, you've got your own word for it or your own term. I mean, Peter Dean has said it time and again, yeah. 
we don't need more breweries we need more brew pubs i there guess we there we go so more outlets yeah so you need your own outlets you need to sell your beer at 70 rand a liter instead of uh, whatever 25 you, rand, rand, rand a liter you've hit the nail right on the head yeah that's exactly what it is and is what what i mean what uh, for for young brewers starting off what would you say give you know, them give them some tips or yeah, even restauranteurs or brew pub owners. But my, my advice to someone wanting to get in the brew industry is really go and study what Darling have done mm. and Jake Black. Uh, and we're all well aware of the fact that neither, neither of those brands own breweries yeah. till they had significant market share. Okay. So work on your labels, get something that's really pretty and nice looking, your packaging. Yeah. Okay. Go and appoint a contract brewer and then work on getting product to market. Yeah. Once you've got market share, uh, then invest in a brewery. Yeah, I mean, I, it was always my dream to start my own beer brand when when I worked for Bavaria in the nineties. But in those days, there was no opportunity. I mean, Bavaria did one contract brew or two. I know that they they brewed Laurentina, which oh, I, which I think was Bavaria with a yeah. yellow sticker. Yeah, that's right. They brewed it for George Pagan, who owns Wines of the World, and he actually owned the Laurentina brand, and he sold it to SAB. No, so did, did the beer sell well in South Africa? N- not really, no. And then obviously the other br- contract brew was for Mitchells when they did with Andy Mitchell, did some contract brewing there. Okay. If you remember that, I don't okay. know where the beer went, but yeah. I think the bottling didn't didn't you know, work for Mitchells. Olga, there's been a much like the restaurant industry and the small brewing craft brewing industry. There's been a lot of accidents, and I think there's still going to be a lot mm. of accidents. So there's another opportunity for somebody wanting, wanting to get in the industry is go and find out who's struggling. And buy the second-hand you know, equipment. Yeah, you know, if you feel you can add value. Yeah, yeah. And but I think it was you who told me that, no, Peter Dean, funnily enough, that having been to a craft brewers conference in America two years ago, that 23% of the beer market in America today is sold by way of uh, craft breweries. Which is significant, eh? That is, it, it is a big number. Mm. Um, yeah, I think we're a long way from that, but uh, certainly the opportunities are there. I mean, red tape or the government isn't on our side. They don't seem to want us to sell our own beer or open brew pubs. Um, yeah, and where can people enjoy your beer at the moment? Mm. Just at, at Crossways, most of the bottle stores? Yeah, I'll go just at Crossways. We're in about 20 tops. Yeah. Okay, peddling away there. Um, we are looking at a site in Belita and a site in Hillcrest okay. for our new concept. So hopefully we'll get some traction there. Okay, great. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a long walk, Robbie. I mean, we we started supplying your store, or I started working for Bavaria, and maybe we we didn't talk about that part. I still love. I mean, for me, the biggest memories of the keg are the variety of beer that you had and the variety of draft. So it's been a long walk. I mean, 94 to now is 23 years ago. You yeah. start, I started in the beer business and you were already there and, <laughs> and reinventing the industry. It looks like neither of us have grown up because we're still <laughs> doing the same stuff. But Hog, I think you've yeah. got to take a lot of credit for uh, the way uh, draft and beer and different beer brands are grown in South Africa. Uh, you know, when I still see your blue Mercedes around Cliffs today, <laughs> it's quite remarkable because I remember you pulling a trailer and delivering beer yourself. <laughs> That's probably why you're the size you are. Okay, But, yeah, I mean, you've worked, you're an exceptionally hardworking man. Uh, I must 
pay you, um, in fact, I must give you credit for what you do for craft beer in South Africa. Yeah. Without you, it wouldn't be what it is today. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, yeah, it was nice chatting to you, and we'll catch up again Thanks. soon. Okay. I look forward to your your new new ventures, and uh, I'm sure you don't. It's too early to talk about them, but uh, it sounds very exciting. Thanks, Olga. Thank you for the opportunity yeah. of telling my story. Okay, lovely. Nice, nice chatting. Okay. Cheers. Thank you, Robbie. Wow, what a lovely story and. I just can't believe that there are so many landmarks that Robbie was involved in. Just look at places like Waxy O'Connor's, Stoker's, um, the one in Hillcrest, uh, Station Masters, um, and now Crossways and Old Main Brewery, Firkin, the Kigs, um, Woodcutters, so many uh, wonderful places, and I've got so many memories servicing these customers, but also not only servicing and selling to them, but also enjoying the odd beer there. So it's so great to talk to Robbie, and it's, it's wonderful to work with him. Um, guys, and if you are uh, in the business of brewing beer, making beer, distilling, if you're a brand owner and you need help with your sales, sales of your product, please feel free to give me a call. That's what I do. I help people. Look for distributors, understand the whole route to market. Um, Yeah, feel free to give me a call and I look forward to seeing you in the trade. Cheers. Cheers.